Good morning, everyone. Um, I hope everyone can hear me all right. I hope everyone is doing great this morning. My name is Alina Butolina. I am a designer at Center for Inclusive Design. And today I'm going to give you some insights on how inclusive design can add value to our industry. Before I go on, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we're meeting on today, the Gadigal people, and I would like to pay my respects to the elders past and present. I would also like to extend that respect to anyone that is Aboriginal Torres Strait Island people here today. So, inclusive design. It's not a new concept at all, but it is a very emerging space in our industry. And even looking at the last year, I seen more and more curiosity coming towards inclusive design from young designers, from senior designers, from organizations. There are more and more talks about inclusive design and sometimes there is a little bit confusion about what it actually is and where to start. So I'm going to use today as a way to inspire, to look into this kind of way of thinking. And I'm going to bring us back to the basics because I really, really, truly believe that having a really good foundation of knowledge will get you really far. I'm going to talk about what inclusive design is, how to practice it, and what are the actual benefits of doing so. So what the heck is inclusive design? When we talk about what we do, we use the definition of inclusive design is design that considers the full range of human diversity with respect to ability, language, culture, gender, age, and all other forms of human difference. Now it's a mouthful, I'm out of breath. So I really wanna break it down a little bit. In Australia, word diversity and inclusion are often used interchangeably. They are fundamentally different though. When we talk about diversity, we talk about numbers or representation. We talk about presence of people from different backgrounds, cultures, languages, and all other human forms of human diversity. Inclusive design is the process of making sure that those people feel valued, respected, and seen. It's making sure they feel like they belong. And when we practice inclusive design, we achieve equity. And here we say equity and not equality, because when we talk about equality, we believe that everyone is equal, which is just not true. Equity is really the idea that everyone is going to interact with your design, your product or your service in a different way. And it's up to us designers to design those multitude of pathways for them to use. So for example, it's not enough to make your website accessible. 
you actually need to test it to make it usable for everyone, no matter what. So how do we do that? How do we design for everyone? Imagine this is a representation of community and their needs and experiences, let's say in Australia. In human-centered design, we are so used to use personas based on the similarities that we often exclude people that are already not invited to the seat at the design table. The people that are on what we call the edge are actually very unique because they will have a different experiences from the people we usually design for. And not only that, they will have different experiences from each other as well. See how far apart they are. And when we design with the edge in mind, we get such a variety of lived experiences, we can cover them all. The intersectionality of lived experiences that the edge uses carry allows us to test with less people than the usual UX testing or research will require. And we often say by putting your product or service through the lens of most complex and most unique experiences will help you challenge your product or service and help you make it the best product it can be. We often say, solve for one, extend to many. And this is what I mean by that. Imagine you are designing a product and you consider experience of someone that only can use one arm. Those insights will extend to someone that, for example, temporarily can only use one arm you broke your arm, can happen. Or you simply think about a time that you were carrying something heavy, like a kid or your groceries, and you couldn't push the button on your phone just to make it work. So think about the thumb zone that we use when we design apps. If you consider someone that have, for example, intellectual disability in your design processes, you automatically will solve potential design challenges for someone that doesn't have the capacity to focus at that right moment, for example, because they have a migraine. And I don't know if you ever had a migraine, but it's very hard to concentrate. Or you're designing potential design challenges for someone that is very tired Think about the very clean and easy to use websites. A really good example is electric toothbrush. Designed for people that have limited motor skills. Um, we can't imagine our lives without electric toothbrushes. My dentist can't imagine my life without my toothbrush. He keeps reminding me every time I go to him. Captions and subtitles, a really good example of self one extent to many. Um, captions were designed for community that were deaf, 
out of hearing, to consume media, and now we use captions every day. Think about social media, for example. Um, if you read any social media report, it will say at least half of the users is using social media platforms on mute. Because you never know where you are, right? Some of you might use it now as well. <laughs> and it, all, it happened to all of us. You are in a very long Zoom meeting that you didn't have to be in. And you're sitting there and you have your phone. It's just there. Put it on mute and you check that YouTube video that your colleagues sent you this morning. Or you check that TikTok that your friends sent you for the legal reasons that never happened to me. My manager in the crowd is just thinking about all the, all the meetings that we had. Please don't fire me. <laughs> but what it does, it was um, a problem that was solved for, for one, but it extended in a way that everyone is using it every day. And it allows us to personalize our experiences to the needs that we have at that particular moment. So where in, where in the design process do we practice inclusive design? Here is our beloved double diamond. And surprise, surprise, you can practice it everywhere. I would strongly advise to do it at the beginning though, because starting with the problem and the research phase and using inclusive design to understand, really understand the potential challenges that you have to solve for, will help you get it right from the first time, first time around. And it will get into all the phases of design. So by the time you are at the last phase and your product is ready, you will have far more comprehensive and better designed product, service or experience. It is also far more financially responsible to do so as designers because not being inclusive can get you in complaints, you can get complaints, you can get legal challenges. You can find yourself in the situation when you have to go all the way back to solve something that you could have solved really early on. And I have a really extreme but very real example of this and it's from Australia. A few years ago, one of the Australia's state governments ordered new trains. They were really excited about it. They put an investment in for $4.4 billion. And trains were already running. A few trains, not all of them, but the amount of trains were already running. And the complaints were starting coming in. The complaints were the disabled bathroom was not usable and you will never guess who. People in the wheelchairs were not able to use the bathrooms. Not because it's government, 
they had to pull the trains off the, off the rails. They were, they were not allowed to, to go on anymore. And to fix that issue and to pay for storage, they had to pay additional $336 million of the taxpayers' money. Whoopsies. It's a big whoopsie because $336 million and I'm just saying something, not even $20,000 for a really good research. Well, I didn't scare anyone <laughs> too much. So we talked about what, what inclusive design is and what the edge is, how to practice it, potential consequences. What are the actual benefits? I think it's important as designers to always look into new ways of thinking and designing. I think it's important to explore those things, but I think it's important to actually know what the benefits are, at least, sorry, at least for me. And here are, in my opinion, few of the most important benefits that inclusive design can unlock for organizations. And that is, it will enhance your customer experience, period. It will open new markets. It will enhance your reputation and it will build trust with your customers. And it simply drives innovation and creativity. And I also have some examples for that as well. A really good example for enhancing that customer experience is uh, accessible controller from Microsoft Xbox. Now, I know there are other accessible controllers out there, but I'm going to use this one just for the sakes of this example. Uh, firstly, designed to cater for gamers with limited mobility. Um, the controller was designed in such a cool way that it resonated with gamers all around because of its customer customizability. Sorry, I don't speak English. <laughs> um, but it was so customizable. People were like, oh, so I can actually look at it and I can just make it my own, which is really cool. What it also allows allowed to happen is that the gamers that had disabilities were able to connect with other gamers. Um, they could play with their family members that just used another controller and they could just participate with any barriers. When we design for those unique experiences, we potentially open doors for engineer solutions that can grow out to be a really profitable product. Think about audiobooks, for example. Now, people that know me in real life know that I'm a huge book nerd. I read at least like 100 books a year, uh, not the ones that will make me smart. Um, but I would never be able to do that without listening to audiobooks. And it's very late in life that I found out that audiobooks were first released in 1932. Um, by American Foundation of the Blind and were presented in the form of vinyl records. And through the time, audiobooks continued to grow with the technology and the time. 
became cassette tape, became CD, PC program. And now with a product like Audible that is owned by Amazon, we can listen to any book whenever we want, whenever we want. And the target audience of audiobooks grew out to be from very, very niche to a globally loved product that is very profitable. I also truly believe these kind of ideas grow out to be new products. Think about audio description projects from ABC and SBS. Doing a really fantastic job on that. Inclusive design also often aligns with the core principles of social responsibility and human rights. By championing inclusive design, we create those environment where, environments where everyone feels safe and environment where we can uphold the dignity of every individual. In the example of Uber's safety feature, Uber recognized that there were some safety concerns from women and non-binary drivers, especially at night. And we all know that nighttime is the most busy time for Uber drivers. And they just, they didn't want to work anymore. Um, Uber took, took action and they researched it and they introduced the Uber safety feature that allowed those drivers that were not feeling safe to only accept requests from female riders. What it did is really created this safe space for the community that would not, well, when we think about Uber driver, we don't usually think about a female driver. And provided the safe space, comfort space, and what it actually did is attracted more and more drivers from that demographics, opening, also opening the economic opportunities for them and make them feel independent. The best thing, they did it without changing anything for the drivers or riders that were not impacted by the safety issues. So inclusive design really helps us to have that game-changing mindset and look into those amazing insights that the golden nuggets that potentially can be the next big breakthrough in design. It really questions the norm that we have set for ourselves in this industry. And it makes us ask the question, do we teach our design, young designers enough? Am I doing enough as a designer, as a company? And it really encourages us to think beyond the average and help us making people feel valued, respected, and seen. So what does that? I didn't want to overwhelm anyone with too much information today, but I think if you really want to read something or listen to something, start with these books and the podcast. This is just a small start to kind of get into the way of thinking of why inclusive design is so important. But 
if you are sitting down now and thinking, how can I, how can I go next week into work and how can I try and actually introduce inclusive design into my organization? Um, here are a few things you can do. First of all, you gotta start talking about it. It needs to become a topic of conversation. People need to get inspired and excited about inclusive design because it is a very cool way of designing. And that will allow you to get the buy-in from the organization. Second of all, start connecting to the communities with different lived experiences than your own. Look at your team or your organization. Look what and which experiences you already have and look where the gaps are. And look at what you actually, which experiences you don't know anything about and start reaching out. You can volunteer, you can partner, you can hire people with unique experiences. Next, look at the processes in your organization that are already working, because I truly don't believe you have to do everything all at once. Look what works already well, and look where you can sprinkle a little bit of inclusive design into your processes. And run a trial. And I know it's easier say, said than done, and it doesn't have to be the biggest project it doesn't even have to be a whole project. It can be a part of the project. Know that it's okay to make mistakes. We're all human. We've all been there. But as long as we are open to learn from it and are open about it in general, it's going to be fine. I've seen so many companies in the past few years, come to us, learn from us, take our advice and recreating it in their own organizations. And when I see those results, it's so inspiring and it's so cool. And if you forgot everything that I already said, remember one thing, by considering people that have the most unique experiences, we can truly elevate the quality of our designs. Thank you. So much, so much time left. Thank you very much. Um, we have time for a question or so for Alina. Does anyone have a question that you'd like to ask? If you do, put your hand up. We've got a microphone that we'll bring to you. Kit? Down the front here. The microphone's at the back, so this will take a moment, Kit. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good, uh, good talk. Thank you. Uh, one thing I'm interested in is how you think the idea of uh, bringing inclusive design early in the process, how that gels with the whole push towards minimum viable product kind of thinking of pick this tiny segment and try and delivered just for that, uh, and whether or not you, there's any tools or tips you can come up with to help us uh, bring inclusive design, even when the project's a micro scale? So if the project is in micro scale and you only have the, is it about the budgets? Mostly. 
<laughs> of course, it's about the budgets. Um, know that you, you, whatever you do, you still have to test or do research with people. And instead of your usual, try to implement the people that have those unique experiences because it's actually also cheap. It will be financially beneficial. And if your company or whatever you do, um, it's like, oh no, don't do it. Just do it. Just find people, like find people. Don't have to tell anyone. <laughs> because at the end, the product will be better. And you can go, ha, I told you so. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> but it is that conversation that you have to have to explain why. Thank you. We have one more question. Hi, Zoe. Hello. Hi, my name's Zoe. Uh, so you can't do inclusive design without talking to disabled people. And many disabled people who have participated in inclusive design processes have reported afterwards that the experience has been insulting, degrading, thoughtless, or in some way harmful. Mm. What can you tell us about running an inclusive design process which is safe for disabled research participants? First of all, if you want, if you go in to for example, run researches with people with disabilities. Um, you have to read into what language you use, how to, how to talk to people. You have to be open about if you don't know anything. You have to have that conversation with them and just don't be afraid to ask how they want to be approached how they want to be talked to. And also, if you're really thinking about doing inclusive design and doing research, start getting those experiences before you actually need them. Start talking to people that have different experiences than you. It's also very, it's very beneficial and not only for your work. Thank you very much. Please join me in thanking Alina.